Hello, and welcome to Educators to Educators podcast. This is Carrie Conover, and today we are going to talk about stress and teaching, which I know that all of you know that you have experienced stress this year, most likely probably every day. Today, we are going to be talking to Lynn Jimenez about stress and teaching. But before we get started, I want to let you know that Lynn and I are going to be collaborating in the entire month of March, talking about stress, helping you to learn about stress. We are even going to do a stress 21 day challenge in the E2E membership site. And speaking of the membership site, you can still get in to the E2E membership site for $10 a month right now. That is going to end here in a few days. So if you haven't taken advantage of that special where you can get the E2E membership site for $10 a month, head on over to www.educators2educators.com. Lynn Jimenez is a licensed clinical social worker who has over 10 years experience as an educator in California. Her school-based experience includes working with students in foster care and on probation, supporting school districts, supporting school districts in developing trauma-informed practices, creating innovative programs to drive state policy change, implementing restorative practices, and developing school-based substance abuse and mental health programs. As a therapist, Lynn's niche is stress response system activation, which includes daily stress, anxiety, depression, and trauma responses. Her favorite tools to help neutralize the stress response system are one, nurturing relationships, and two, mindfulness. Lynn, welcome to the E2E podcast. It is so funny. Every time I hear that bio, I'm like, who is this woman? I have to tell you, Lynn, as I was reading that bio, I think my stress response system went into overdrive. There was so much in there. Like, don't mess this up, Carrie. Don't mess this up, Carrie. But I'm so glad you're here. We met. The universe brought us together through social media. It seems like a lot of my new best friends I'm meeting through Instagram. Um, But you reached out to me and said, hey, like I've been working with teachers and students in schools talking about this. I'm super passionate about this. We hopped on the phone and we already are planning vacations together. So I would say it's a match made in heaven. Obviously. I think I'm coming to Chicago first, right? Oh, well, it's like eight degrees here right now. So I think I'm going to be coming to California. Okay, fine. (laughs) Today, as we always do on the E2E podcast, we're going to take one bigger topic, stress and teaching, and we're going to break it down into three sub lessons. So we're going to talk first about stress school 101. Then we're going to be talking about understanding your stress. And then finally, we're going to wrap up with how to reduce the impacts of stress. Should we get started? Yep, I'm ready. Okay, stress school 101. Talk about the basics. Okay, so biological adaptation that we have and without getting into all the science behind it, it's basically the way that our body and our brain process information. The information can come from the external world, so through our five senses, or it can be internally derived. So it might be physical or sensations that you notice in your body. It might be your emotional state. It's interesting because I think a lot of people, when they experience stress, 
don't necessarily like biology behind it. We just kind of like have separated out the two. And so I like to teach about the stress response system because it paints a better picture and it's not just like, oh, I can't handle my stress as if it, there's some sort of like, uh, it's like my own shortcoming. It's really like, this is your body has been programmed. It's almost like a computer. Your body has been programmed a certain way based on your experiences and based on the information that it's been taking in. Page, a stressor is the information that you're taking in. Stress is how you respond to that stressor. Okay, wait. Say that again. Okay. Stressor is the information you're taking in. So a stressor could be lack of sleep, like nutrition. It could be mental illness. It could be a ch the weather outside. Could it, it be could like almost getting into a car accident? 100%. That could be the stressor. Okay. It could okay. be um, pain in your body. It could be uh, illness, injury. It could be any of those things. Yeah, it could. it could be a boss that you don't like dealing with. It could be a teaching parent, a, parent, a parent, teach a, a classroom full of 30 kids, also in a global pandemic. Like, I mean, yeah. it, stressors can be a lot of different things. And we have so many and they're not always bad, but there's just so many. And so sometimes our stress response system gets overwhelmed because of the sheer volume or volume and intensity. Okay, so those are the stressors. Mm -hmm. The stress then is how it impacts us. Is that physically, mentally, all of those things? All of the above. So I always explain it as like uh, mental. So your thoughts, your emotional state, your behaviors, and then physical sensations. So like when I'm under stress, I don't, uh, here's the other thing. A lot of people think like stress and they're like, oh, I'm not stressed. But they're like, but I have anxiety. So it's the same thing. The stress response system is like the large umbrella, how it looks or how we describe it. It might be anger. It could be rage. It could be depression. It could be anxiety. Like all of those things are how we've dealt with stress. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so I like, I like what you're saying too, around like it presents itself differently in everyone, right? Mm -hmm. That, that you know, I, I might be a person who seems like happy go lucky and then not much bothers me, but it could be, I deal with it just in a different way than someone else. Yep. Yep. And you still have stress, right? And so, and you might call it something else and like different times in our lives, it might look a little bit different, but if you think, if you think about like, okay, the stress response system is being activated. I have stressors and then it results in stress. And my stress today is anxiety. My stress today is sadness. My stress today is anger, frustration, numbness, all of those things. So that's kind of like why I usually like to teach about the stress response system in the beginning, because oftentimes people think, discount what's happening and they're like, well, I'm not stressed. I'm like, eh, you probably are. Mm, so good. Okay. So let's move into this talking about understanding your stress. Yeah. Okay. So this is like the, this is where it's like the individual application stress, like we were kind of talking about is such a unique experience. So if I say I'm stressed and you say you're stressed, those experiences are going to be so different. And what I see with clients and what I see kind of like just collectively is we tend to think that stress is just this one size fits all approach. And so as we've already discussed, it's not, it's very unique. It's an individual experience and it can present itself in so many different ways. So like sometimes my stress shows up in my body with 
tightness in my chest, stomach pains, muscle aches. Sometimes it shows up in my behavior when I'm yelling at my kids because I'm like very short tempered. Sometimes it shows up as like not being able to sleep. Um, sometimes it's being overwhelmed with all the stuff on my plate. So it can show up in all of those ways, either individually, or sometimes it's all of those things. Typically when I like help people understand their stress, I like to teach them one to kind of start scaling it. So when we think about stress, one of the challenges that we have was like, it's either I'm stressed or I'm not as if it's just like an all or nothing approach. And there's, it's a continuum. So if you think of like a zero to 10 scale, zero being you're calm, you're free of stress, you're just like jolly, merry, whatever you want to describe that experience as. And then 10 is the most intense version of that. So for me, when I'm at a 10, it kind of goes into like anger and rage, to be honest. Like if I get there, it's like, I'm like a different person. Yes. Anxieties before that stress is like maybe a mid grade. So there's all these like, there's all these varying degrees of intensities. And at each level of that, it's nuanced, right? So all these subtleties, we need to start understanding because then we can recognize like, ah, this is where I'm at right now. Let me do these things. So I'm a big fan of mindfulness, as we kind of talked about in the bio, because that's how we develop this awareness. So the more that we can slow down and reduce the amount of distractions around us, then we can tune into ourselves and recognize like, all right, what's going on with me right now? Am I at, you know, like if I'm, I'm stressed or I'm anxious, cool. How do I know I'm anxious? Well, I've just yelled at my kids. I can't seem to get myself organized. Those executive functioning skills aren't working for me. I haven't slept well. I'm drinking a lot of coffee to compensate for my lack of sleep or eating the sugary foods that I love. My body is achy. So if I look at all those things and then I might look at like, okay, I think I'm probably on that zero to 10 scale. I'm probably at a seven. What do I need to do? And we'll kind of get into the, what do I need to do next? But like, now that I know what my stress looks like, it's going to be a lot easier for me to manage it and start reducing it because I have a really clear picture of what's going on. I just wrote a blog post last week and it was titled how to get out of a mental funk and turn your day around. Uh And I talk about like, there are some things, some days you just wake up like in a mental funk. And I talk about how I've really been able to learn how to turn that around. And the, the first step of that is like identifying that I'm in a mental funk. Yep. I think like a lot of times we are not, we were not taught to take a second and stop and look inward and say, okay, what is going on with my thoughts? Yep. Where are those thoughts coming from? What feelings am I pushing down or numbing or not thinking about that are like making me think about these thoughts? And then, you know, I'm a big fan of Brooke Castillo's podcast, the Life School podcast, where she talks a lot about like your feelings turn into your thoughts, your thoughts turn into your actions, your actions turn into your results over time. Yep. So that was the one thing I feel like I've, this has become one of my superpowers, honestly, mm-hmm. in life is to be able to not let like a morning where I wake up feeling eh, or not great about myself is to lean in and kind of identify where that coming from. Like last week, it was about getting older. I was yep. struggling a little bit with that. Um, and I shared that in the podcast. I ha- There's a podcast episode too, where I talk about this. So I wanted to wrap it. And if, if you all listening have not visited the educators to educators.com backslash blog, please do so. And Lynn's going to share out some of her resources as well. But I think 
one, knowing what I like about what you're sharing and why I share my own personal bad days and how I turn them around is that we were not taught, our generation especially, as children, how to look inside and say, I'm there's some stressors going on right now. Yep. I'm naturally feeling a little stressed. Yep. I'm at like a four. And what happens when you're teaching is you sit, you go to your classroom and you might already have outside stressors from the day. Maybe you got a fight with your spouse or your kids were making you mad or the house was a mess. So you walk in that classroom. And I think with teachers, when we don't identify those things for ourselves, one kid innocently can send us from a four to a 10. Yep. And, and then we might snap at a kid or, you know, not have the lesson we wanted to have. Yep. And not I think experience. It, yeah. It's so easy as a teacher to go from like those underlying things kind of coming to the surface to like, I'm at a 10 and I can't take this job anymore. Yep. And it's so, it's such a like really cool experience for those teachers that are like, ah, I'm on board with this. I know some people, this is like going to push their comfort level, but what a beautiful opportunity to model to your students, how to handle bad days, right. To come in and say like, guys, I'm having, I've had a rough morning. So, Hey, let's all do this. Like, let's all get up and move. Let's walk around the campus for like five minutes. I mean, obviously you can't do that right now. So maybe you kind of just do some deep breathing with your students show them how that you're getting yourself grounded, show them that you're human and that you have bad days. Here's how I'm going to handle it. Let's all do this together because it's not going to hurt any of us. And now our day is going to probably be a lot better because we've reduced some of our stress because we're aware of it. Yeah. It's that first step of really being that awareness. It's funny because go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, if you would talk a little bit about those, I know we're going to talk about how to reduce the impact of stress, but you were saying the mindfulness, like what is it about mindfulness that helps you get that self-awareness? Like, is it the quietness? Is it the quieting of the mind? Is it taking the time to focus on yourself? What do you think the connection is there? Yeah, it's funny. So that's exactly what I was going to say. So a girlfriend and I were both therapists and we used to always talk, we're like, gosh, how do you, how do you train people to be self-aware? And then as I started practicing mindfulness, literally this like came to me probably like a couple days ago. I was like, this is the practice of it. This is how you develop that self-awareness. I mean, the practice of mindfulness is just being aware. And so the problem with our society these days is we have so many distractions and so many things on our plate and we keep piling them on. We're all, most of us are overscheduled. We don't have a lot of downtime. And so the brain is constantly operating, going back to the stress response system is constantly processing information. And so there's no opportunity for it to quiet down and check in. So we have to create those opportunities. Otherwise, all we're doing is responding to information all day long. So what happens is if unless like when your head hits the pillow, you knock out immediately, a lot of people struggle with sleep because the brain is finally quiet. And it's like, Hey, what about this thing that you're feeling? Hey, what about this like conflict that you had? Do you want to think about that now? You know, and, and people will often report to me, like, I can't sleep. My mind just races at that time. And I'm like, yeah, because you haven't given it the time to think and be and settle and like kind of roll through some of these ideas and these thoughts. So if you can slow down a bit and think about these things, now you have the opportunity to develop that awareness. When you're distracted all day, it's going to be nearly impossible 
to become aware of anything but your distractions. You're responding to your external environment all day long. So you have to get quiet and develop that that muscle of mindfulness. It's just like you're a tennis player, right? Like first yeah. time on the court, you're not going to know what to do, but the more you do it, the stronger your your skills get. Mindfulness is the same thing. The more you do it, the more repetitions you give the brain, the stronger the neurobiology is. Like those neurons get, you know, the ones that wire together, fire together or fire together, wire together. But they'll, you know, like your brain will start developing the habit of being aware and you can, over time, you'll start noticing it gets easier and easier. But if you don't get quiet, it's going to be really hard to check in with yourself. It's, it's just nearly impossible. I haven't, I haven't really seen anybody able to do it when they're like running, putting out fires or just like running from thing to thing. It's hard to notice what's happening in your body. It's such a subtle experience. Well, I mean, even for me, like I've tried yoga so much. I went to yoga for the first time last week. I hadn't been in a long time, especially being an entrepreneur. Like I was like a busy brain in general, like Mm -hmm. thinking, and I would find myself going to yoga and actually not enjoying it because the instructor would be like, if a thought comes to your head, let it go. And through the whole thing, I'd be like, but I can't let it go. And then now I'm thinking about that. And now I'm thinking about why I can't let it go. And oh, look at my body. Look at my knee. Oh, I'm not feeling strong. But what I found is when we would end yoga in, uh, what's the end pose called? Uh, Shavasana. Yes. Shavasana. Uh-huh. All that fight I was having with my mind, as soon as we went into Shavasana, I, it was like I just, my brain just melted into nothingness. Like I stopped I, I guess I was like thinking, well, in yoga, I shouldn't be thinking this much. I should, my mind should feel so clear, but the actual act of doing it and like fighting through and recognizing that my brain was so busy, by the time I got to the end, I was in this like euphoric state. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to like focus more on, it's okay. Like, this is my experience of yoga and it's okay if, if my brain's still going busy, but it's working because by the time I'm laying down at the end... I'm calm. Totally. Like the brain is going to, the brain is going to want to think. And like, if you're, when you're, you know, like in the grind of your day, the brain doesn't have the time to think about like, oh, what about this thing? Or maybe you should reach out to this person, right? Because you're just giving it tasks all day. So when it doesn't have as much of a task, or if it's like a relatively easy task, like maybe doing yoga, sometimes that is people, uh, it is also a good grounding technique because you're distracting the mind from thinking because you're just like okay where does my foot need to be where does my hand need to be Mm -hmm. but if you in those moments where you're like all right I kind of got this then the the, like these little thoughts will pop up and it's just it, it, it is what it is I think some people feel like when that happens it's like ah it's not working for me and it's actually the opposite it is working for you now you're being becoming aware of your thoughts you're like ah my mind is racing cool yeah oh there's some ideas that I have cool you're developing that awareness you're not going to go from this busy racing mind into like being able to sit still for a long period of time. You have to train your brain to do it, especially if you've been training your brain to be busy this whole time. When I first started yoga, I hated Shavasana. I remember being the person that I would lay there and be looking around and it was like three minutes (laughs) of pain. And because I was the same, I was very, I'm very ambitious. I'm always on the go. It's like this achiever me, right? Like talk about strengths finder. Yeah. And that was my identity. And so to sit still, I was like, this is a waste of time. Why would I do this? And I remember even like some lady in my class was like, yeah, just like breathe into that tension. I'm like, this woman 
I don't know. I, I'm watching my language here for your podcast. But I, I just like remember looking at her like, she's lost her mind. And now I'm like all of, I'm like, just breathe through the tension. I could like fall asleep in three minutes in Shavasana. Most days, like if I'm anxious, yeah. it's not happening. But most days, because now I've trained my mind to be still. And like, now I know, okay, when I'm really anxious, if I want to enjoy that Shavasana, I might need to journal or something before. Like I start learning the practices that match where I'm at once I have that awareness. This is like the perfect segue into how to reduce the impact of stress. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Because that's like what people are like, I know I'm stressed, but I don't know what to do. First, I mean, the first step is for sure developing that mindfulness because just being in that overwhelmed place, you kind of need to know what it is because some, so reducing it, the reason why I walked you through that zero to 10 scale is because you have to do the right coping skills, use the right resources to reduce your stress. So if I am at a 10 and I want to punch a wall, then I probably don't want to just like a couple rounds of breathing isn't going to work for me. Or like, you know, like listening to some soft music is not going to be most effective. Like when I'm at that 10 level for me, this isn't for everybody. For me, I need like a really exerting physical outlet. So like I need to go for a run or like a really fast walk or like just like get some of that physical energy out because usually I'm really like restless and amped up. And then that will typically bring me down to like a seven. Once I'm at a seven, then I need to identify like, what do I need when I'm at a seven? And that might be like a bath or some yoga, or I can talk to a friend at that point. And then that might bring me down to like a five. And when I'm at a five, there's going to be things that I do. It's all trial and error. As a therapist, I unfortunately don't have a magic wand and I can't say like, hey, Carrie, like if you do the X, Y, and Z, like you're going to be stress-free. You have to just keep trying them out and figure out like, again, and where mindfulness comes in is like, did this work for me? Yes or no. And if so, where, when and where might I use it? When I'm like, once I'm, when I'm in that 10 place, journaling is going to be hard because my mind is all over the place or writing a to-do list to get myself organized is going to be hard. That part of my brain, when I'm at a 10, the part of my brain that would help me get organized to write a to-do list is not working. It's not fully integrated. Aren't so you need, more in like fight or flight mode? You're totally in fight or flight. Yep. I always, I usually will say like six to 10, probably fight or flight. Once we move through fight or flight, we can go into a freeze response, which is an immobilization response. It's like what it's more of like a depressive numbing dissociation. Yeah. So that's kind of like when it's our brain has decided, all right, I've tried to activate the resources, try to do these, the fight or flight things. It may not actually physically be running away, but it could be like avoiding or, or something like that. Those strategies did not work. And so now I just need to go into like this protective zone. Well, in teachers, like all day is just, there's so much stimulation around them. So like trying to quiet down, I know for me, I'm one of those people when I get super stressed, I actually get super quiet. Like my husband yep. jokes a lot. Like if Carrie's quiet, she's either mad or stressed. Like yep. I do the opposite of my normal personality, which is jolly talk, connect. I go totally in. Right. Yep. Yeah. And that was hard in the classroom because you have all these little people around you. But I found ways to create, if I needed 
like if I was up there and I needed, cause that was a way that I could kind of bring myself back down. I'm like everybody at their desk, get out a book. I'm putting on music. I literally need it to be so silent in here. No one speak. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. like those were those coping things. I was able to build into a situation that I couldn't always control. Yeah. I, you bring up a good point. So like when I talk about reducing stress, like the first thing is like not taking on more when you are stressed out, do not take on more that it, like it is impossible to reduce your stress. If you're adding more stress to your plate within that, once you've done, once you've like decided like, okay, like I have, I'm like at full capacity, so I'm not going to add anything else in. See if you can reduce the intensity of some of your stressors. So okay. can you do less? You can probably, you'll speak better to like classroom practices, but like the thing that comes to mind is like when I'd be, I get stressed out over planning my kids' birthday parties. And I would think of like all these wonderful things that I wanted to do. And then life would hit me and I couldn't make all the like decorations or do all these like fun little table, I don't know, things and like goodie bags. And, and then I would get overwhelmed because I was like, I had all these grand plans of their birthday party and I couldn't execute them. Could I still put on a birthday party for sure? Like some Costco pizza, a cake and, you know, like inviting their friends over was good enough. So I had to really look at how much of this stress is necessary and how much am I adding to it? Like, can I reduce, can I just take some of those things off the to-do list in order to reduce my own stress and be okay with it? And I had to learn to be okay with it. That was like my work. So in a classroom, it might look the same. Like maybe you have this like great idea of like some like, extraordinary lesson that would be really amazing for the kids and the students. But if it's like, if you don't have the bandwidth for it, is there some, is there a compromise you can make? So that way you are in a place emotionally to deliver a really rock solid lesson, but not, not like killing yourself in the process. Yep. Is that a good enough example? I always like well, suck one. Yeah, I'm not a teacher. Okay. Example. And okay. Teachers struggle with perfectionism so much. Yep. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about that. Like teachers have this gene in them that's like perfection, perfection, perfection. And like, honestly, the kids don't, the kids will take you being a happy human being over an amazingly planned lesson. Like they would rather you be in a happy mood and bond with them. They're going to learn more from that than you having this perfectly planned lesson, but you're completely stressed out. Yeah. And what, what a gift to your students, yourself, and your fellow teachers when you could be the leader in the group to say like, hey, I had to modify this lesson because I just didn't have the bandwidth this week. Like what a culture shift that will be amongst teachers because I have a feeling part of it is that like the culture of like, oh, I see everybody else doing this and then we're not talking about our stress or like how this is like breaking us to deliver whatever content we're trying to deliver. And we just were like in our own little vacuums thinking like, well, everybody else is doing it. I got to do it. And it's like almost like this keeping up with the Joneses educator edition. I mean, you see it across moms all the time, which is like why that birthday party example comes up. It's like all these other moms are doing this stuff. And like, finally I had to be like, I'm not that mom. I'm not the mom that's like hand making soaps and crayons for my kids' classroom (laughs) stuff. Like if I can pick up some cookies at the grocery store on the way in and like drop it off, like I feel pretty solid about that. (laughs) Which by the way, like sometimes I get very satisfied by making cute little craft things. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that stresses me out. So it can be both. Yep. It can totally be both. Yeah. I think there's something interesting to be said about like self-care. I was just having a conversation with uh, someone else that I met through Instagram. 
about like this whole self-care movement and it's not really, I've talked about some podcasts. Like I think we have to take a deep look at what actually does make us happy. Like for me, yes, do I like having my nails pretty? I do, but I don't really enjoy the process of sitting and getting my nails done. That actually isn't really self-care for me. Uh-huh. But for me, if I can catch like a really nice, quick 30 minute nap in my like legit sometimes in the late afternoon, I'll put my pajamas back on and take a 30 minute nap. Yeah. That for me is actual self-care. Yep. I love that you brought that up. So like I like to share this distinction, which I actually didn't come up with a friend of mine who is not a therapist said it to me one day and I was like, that's absolutely brilliant. She's like, I really have to look at is the self-care self-soothing. And I think we have like self-care looks different for everybody. I have people, clients that I work with who their self-care is like taking the time to make a doctor's appointment because they just haven't done that. And some people it's like, okay, going to the gym and other people are like, yeah, they like to do those more luxurious things. It has to be something that is like authentic and genuine to you. And I would encourage you to, one, I love when it feels luxurious and indulgent. I also love for people when it is a daily practice, because what happens is, is like when it's something like getting your nails done or getting your hair done, you're not going to do that every day. And now you're telling yourself, I'm worthy of my own time once a month, a couple times a month. Like you should, no, I I don't want to should on you, but you should for (laughs) sure. If like, don't stress out about it, obviously, but it's real. There's so much value in starting your day with something that feels like a self-care practice. So for sure, get up, wash your face, brush your teeth, do your thing. Like for me, like, I mean, I'm a therapist, but my groups are, I run groups at a addiction treatment center and a lot of them are yoga based. So like I get to roll in in like leggings and like my hair back in a ponytail, but I'll put on makeup and sometimes like put on like a couple bracelets because that makes me feel good. It takes me five minutes. I like to sit and enjoy my cup of tea in the morning. That is my, that is a self-care practice. Getting up and reading for 10 minutes, like journaling before I get out of bed. Like if I could do any of those things, sometimes it's two minutes of stretching. Like it doesn't have to be a lot, but every day you're telling yourself, I am worthy of my own time. And you're finding ways that fill you up. Not that you saw on Instagram or not that somebody else shared. These are things that like, actually feels meaningful to you and gets you in the right headspace. Some people, you know, like a prayer, a mantra, something like that. It might be a couple things. It might be one thing, but that is what self-care hopefully will start looking like is like a daily practice. And if you need it multiple times throughout the day, awesome. Like how cool would it be to have 10 times throughout the day, like three minutes of self-care rather than waiting for 30 minutes, if you can get it. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, it's the same as at the end. It's still 30 minutes, but get it where you can. Like, I love that you talked about putting music on and having students read. Like, give them a mandala coloring sheet. Like, let them practice self-care with you. Everybody gets, we're taking a five-minute self-care break. Everybody wins. Yep. I, I think for me, too, like, one of my favorite routines of the week is going to happen as soon as we get off. It's Friday, guys, 5 o'clock my time that we're recording this podcast. And one of the things I do every week on Friday at the end of the day, and I've talked about how I think Friday early evenings is such a great time to be productive that I think a lot of people 
are like, oh, it's Friday. I, I can just relax. Like I really maximize this time on Friday. And one of my favorite rituals is I have a huge weekly dust calendar that I'll sit down with. And it's basically layering every meeting I have, every appointment I have, everything I need to do for my family on here. And then I see, okay, where do I have blocks of time to be productive? Where do I have blocks of time to get things done that maybe are feeling a little stressful or cumbersome? Like for me, the process of going through and being able to look at my week and say, okay, there's enough time in this next week for me to accomplish all these things that I need to get done and spend time you know, working out and doing all those things. For me, that is a huge part of self-care because yep. then I have a plan in place and I leave myself bumper, you know, time. Yep. Or like, so I, I think like part of this is like getting that motivation to kind of take control of your time yep, and make sure you are planning so that you, we're all going to end up in stressful situations we can't control, but I think there is some planning that we can do, especially as educators yep. to protect our time. Yeah. And I feel like teachers, educators are the best at this. Like I came through the education route as a social worker. So I wouldn't say this is like, like my strength. <laughs> uh, I get a lot of stuff done. I'm pretty organized, but it's like a little bit loosey goosey the way that I do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm obsessed with how like organized and detailed teachers are. So I think like when you talked about superpowers, that is your superpower. So use it to your advantage. Like I do, I will, I am a much better person when I plan out my week and I have an idea of like, where are these pockets of time? What can I do? I also have a very strong commitment to my self-care plan. Like when I, I was anxious for a really long time and I, it got to the point where I thought, and like when I say anxious, like I physically felt anxious, like my chest was tight on a daily basis, like throughout the day. And I just got to a point, I was like, well, I guess this is just how I'm going to live the rest of my life. My chest will always be tight. And then, you know, add in like a divorce and, you know, like now like single parent, 50, 50 custody. And I thought, okay, my stress isn't going away. It's just changed forms a bit. And when I was still like really short, short tempered with my kids because of like how much stress I was experiencing, there was just one day where I was like, okay, enough. Like this is not anybody else's problem. This is mine. I have to commit to this, like no more playing games and no more blaming other people or my circumstances if I want to be less stressed, I have to do it on my own or I have to like be committed to doing it. And ever since that point, like it's probably been, I'd say like maybe eight months to a year now, like my chest is not tight anymore. Like I'm like, I'll have bad days for sure. And I still get stressed out, but I don't have that same experience. I'm much more in control because that is my priority. I'm not willing to let any other thing veer me off that course some days it's like, some days I can indulge more in self-care practices and other days it's like, okay, I'm giving myself five minutes today. I can do five minutes yeah. and that five minutes makes a big difference. Like it, it tells me like I am the priority and I've, I've still committed to this goal. I love that. I want to read a quote to end this, but before I do, uh, how can we get a hold of you and follow you? And besides our 21 day stress challenge that we're going to be doing and focusing on this in March, where else can everyone find you and, uh, and, and learn more from you? Yeah. So socials I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'm probably most active on Instagram probably. And it's connect flow grow across all of those. I think my LinkedIn is Lynn Jimenez. And then my website is www.connectflowgrow.com. 
have a blog on there and just some tools and stuff if anybody wants to get in touch and then they can email me from there. I want to read this quote that I posted on my Instagram today. It says, it's, I, it, I don't know the original source of this, but it says, some of the most comforting words in the universe are me too. That moment when you find out that your struggle is also someone else's struggle, that you're not alone, and that others have been down the same road. And I feel like you sharing, even as the expert, Lynn, and being vulnerable and saying, you also struggled with this anxiety. You also, you know, have had to build these tools in for yourself is so valuable to our audience. And I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed and that you were able to share this with all of us today. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad our paths crossed too. Friends, I know this is such a hard year. You've made it almost to March. And I just want to tell all of you that I'm thinking about you. I'm here for you if you need anything. And until next time, my friends, keep on teaching on.